Homeschooling isn't just about education. It's about your kids, it's about your family, and it's about a lifestyle. Hi, my name is Jackie, and I'm the founder of Homeschool Think Tank. The Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast is about community, family, education, and life. I believe that these are the things that matter to homeschool families. Tune in each week and let's talk. I'll bring you a message from my heart, an expert interview, or an interview with the ultimate homeschooling experts, homeschool families like yours. Remember to check the link in the show notes below and you'll find an article that corresponds with this episode. Finally, remember to visit homeschoolthinktank.com for more information about how we serve homeschooling families. All right, let's get started with this week's episode. Today's interview is with Allison DeFries, and Allison helps children who have dyslexia learn how to read. And she does this through one-on-one tutoring online so she can help your child no matter where you live in the world. She also offers an online course that helps parents teach a child who has dyslexia how to read. This course would also be great for a teacher to learn how to help her students who have dyslexia learn how to read. So if you aren't aware of this, one in every five people has dyslexia. So you're definitely going to want to listen to this episode. Allison talks about the symptoms of dyslexia, about the gift of dyslexia, and how you can help your child who has dyslexia learn how to read. I believe that Allison's experiences and her education make her the perfect teacher for a child who has dyslexia. Allison didn't actually learn how to read until she was 13 years old, and that's because she has dyslexia. And she has overcome her challenges, and she now has a master's in the arts of teaching from Georgia State University. And at the time of this recording, she was training under a fellow through the Academy of Orton Gillingham Practitioners and Educators. And the Orton Gillingham method is known to be the best way to help a child who has dyslexia learn how to read. So between her experiences as a child who had dyslexia and an adult who has overcome it, and her experiences with teaching, I think you are going to love this interview and learn a lot from it. And I also believe that whether you have a child who has dyslexia or not, we should all have this basic knowledge that is shared in this interview because one in every five people does have dyslexia. So in this interview, I want to ask for your forgiveness. I've actually come back in to redo this podcast introduction. And the reason I'm asking for your forgiveness is this is the very first interview I ever did, and I'm not very good at it. But Allison shares excellent information, and it is worth keeping this podcast episode up because the information in this episode is so valuable. By the way, be sure to check the link in the show notes below and you will find a blog post that goes with this episode and we have included everything Allison talks about in this episode in that blog post. So definitely check that out. There is a lot of great information. 
All right, we're getting started with where I have asked Allison to share a little bit more about herself. Yes, well, um, thank you. That's a big compliment. It was hard work. Um, I currently tutor dyslexic students of all ages through video conferencing, basically what we're doing right now. Um, My business is called Telexia Tutoring, and the name reflects my love for language. Tela means afar in Greek. And then Lexia is a playoff of dyslexia. And that is mainly what I tutor. I tutor students who have dyslexia or who are believed to have dyslexia but may not have a diagnosis yet. And like you mentioned, I am a dyslexic learner turned teacher. And I started uh, tutoring online because as a teacher in Atlanta, I knew people drew, drove for hours to attend tutoring sessions at our school. You may have heard about Atlanta traffic, Jackie. (laughs) Doesn't sound fun. It's horrible. So I realized I could tutor students online and they wouldn't have to drive to our school. And I began doing that last year. And it came in handy because my husband and I actually moved from Atlanta to New Mexico. (laughs) There's another type of driving problem, right? That's right. So I just continued to tutor here in my new home. So I want to share this little statistic real quick. 40% of people with dyslexia are self-made millionaires. Do I have that right? I've heard that too. And it's not uncommon to think that very successful people also have dyslexia. I thought every kid needs to just like hear this. From some of the things I've been researching in the meantime, I think that's a matter of resilience because you do have to overcome so much with dyslexia. It's got the combination of resiliency plus how our brain is wired as dyslexics. Our brain is designed a little bit differently than non-dyslexic brains. And people who have dyslexia are often described as having this island of weakness with reading or spelling. And it's surrounded by a whole sea of strengths of higher level cognitive abilities. So dyslexics tend to be really creative, They're quick thinkers, they're intelligent and compassionate, and they have a talent for building or solving puzzles, an ability to figure things out. They're usually very perceptive. So a sign of struggle for a dyslexic may be the struggle with learning to read when so many of these high intelligence factors are also present. So as I prepared for our podcast interview, I was reading a lot about dyslexia and I learned about this term. It's called the gift of dyslexia. So I asked Allison about this and here's what she had to say. Exactly right. And that's what leads so many dyslexics to unbelievable success. You know them, you've heard of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here are some famous people, Steve Jobs, Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein, Walt Disney, and Jay Leno are all examples throughout different periods of time. Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin Group, did not know the difference between net and gross profit until one of his team members drew him a picture. He's one of the richest men alive. Another famous person, Charles Schwab, Mm -hmm. the founder of the financial service industry or business, um, Charles Schwab Corp., is also dyslexic. And with his creative mind, he realized that the financial world uh, didn't have the ability for some people to access it. And he recreated and revolutionized the way that people can bank and can invest for their future. 
So with his critical thinking skills, he opened up the market for more people to, to jump in. And I'd like to add, Jackie, that because dyslexia is found in as much as 20% of the population, that means two out of 10 people in your neighborhood are probably dyslexic. It could be your elected officials, your coworkers, um, your community members in your church or synagogue. They um, could be dyslexic, uh, diagnosed or undiagnosed, and they're all probably all-stars. I found that statistic to be absolutely astounding. You know, if you're counting people around you, it's one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Every fifth person has dyslexia. So after we talked about this, I asked Allison to share her story about having dyslexia. By the way, I had never heard Allison's story before the interview, although she did expect the question. I didn't just surprise her with it, but I intentionally didn't hear it until the interview. Thank you for even asking, because whereas it feels um, a little bit painful and shameful to reflect on, my story is reflective of how most people come to learn they're dyslexic. Most, I would say most children come to learn they're dyslexic. So I was illiterate until the sixth and seventh grades. I was in public school. I could not get through the day. I had memorized as much as I could, and that got me through um, scraping through second and third grades. And then it all just kind of crumbled. And I had a lot of labels put on me. I had a lot of negativity from my teachers, from the administration at the school. And my parents were desperate and fed up, honestly, with advocating for me at our local public school. And we were so blessed geographically to live in Atlanta where there's a full immersion school for dyslexics called the Skank School in Atlanta, Georgia. And what is that called? It's called the Skank School. Is it still open today? It is. It is still open. Yes. Going on. So if you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area, there's a resource. (laughs) Oh, yes. All you Atlanta people, the Skank School is the place to look up. Um, My parents applied me right away and, and just... Through stroke of luck, somebody was moving away from the state of Georgia and they had an opening and they got me in. And I was in a class with, in sixth grade with eight other or seven other people, total of eight kids. And that's when I started to put the pieces together and learn how to read. My teachers were amazing and all the other students were just like me. It was great. Um, I stayed there for two years, fully immersed to learn how to read. I think that is amazing. And it makes me sad for you as I've learned more about dyslexia, about how it can be embarrassing and how it can be shameful. But it's not your fault. It's not my fault, nor is it a real disability. Many people consider it a real ability and a real gift, like we've Mm -hmm. talked about. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a difference in the way that your brain is wired and the the way your brain works. I've recently learned all of this. It's like a whole new world for me to understand this. And what, what really got me there is how you said you are in a setting with kids who were like you. Because as I've learned more, it breaks my heart what kids are going through. They're trying. They're trying to learn. They're getting punished at home sometimes. This, you know, their classroom teacher may not understand it. And the other thing I'm learning is classroom teachers don't necessarily know all the signs and how to diagnose and 
it can be a while before people really understand that a child has dyslexia, that they're not lazy or they're not trying. So can you share a little more about some of that? Absolutely, yes. Even experienced teachers who have seen years and years of of 20% of their class struggling um, because they might be dyslexic, um, they, they're just unaware and they also are stretched to the limits just with their normal daily teaching duties with students who are on grade level. My third grade class had 33 children in it. I would put my hood over my head from my sweatshirt and I would just try to hide and I was able to because my, my experienced teacher who I'm sure was wonderful to most children, um, was really just trying to do her best. You know what I mean? So a lot of parents are told, let's give your child another year to absorb the teaching and instruction from their second grade teacher. Or, um, you know what, if your child just worked a little bit harder, then your child would learn to read. Or how about this one for parents out there? If you practice the words we sent home with your child, your child would do better. All the parents are doing their absolute best, and so are the kids. And I, I do need to say that the teachers are doing what they know to be their best as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something I believe. I, before I was a homeschooling parent, I was a physical education teacher. And I really do think that the teachers and the parents are doing the best they can. It's not always ideal, though. There's a lot of kids. You're doing the best you can within the system and what you're expected to produce and do, you know, it's one teacher with so many kids. So that can, it can be a real challenge. Now, likewise, as a homeschooling parent, it just like the classroom teacher, we don't know what we don't know. So if I, if my daughter would have, even my daughters would have had dyslexia, I wouldn't have recognized the signs. I wouldn't have understood what I was up against. So can you share some of the signs of dyslexia and what parents might look for and even if they just have an inkling? Just uh, Well, Jackie, also I've prepared a resource for your listeners and viewers for this episode, and the checklists are broken up by age group. So um, I'll just briefly mention a couple signs you want to look for in young children, like the four-year-olds, five-year-olds. This is what you can look for. And as parents, you want to, you know, be careful with how you compare one child to the next child, of course. But as a parent and maybe a homeschool parent, you have an understanding of how children should be progressing through academic curricula. So what you can look for is a difference in how one child might be approaching curricula compared to another child. If that's, like say, your second child is coming to her alphabet letters a little bit more slowly than your first child, then um, you might, you know, you might look for that. So here are a couple things that parents can use to look for signs of dyslexia in young children. We want to see how they're learning their alphabet. If that's a little slower or maybe more jarbled or jumbled up. Mm -hmm. Um, If the child is having a difficulty learning nursery rhymes, such as Jack and Jill, then that would be a signal. And Hmm. in general, if a student or young child is having trouble with rhyming words, then that would be a sign. 
Um, we're also looking up until about seven years old, we're looking for words to be pronounced strangely or differently. And a really common example is saying buschetti instead of spaghetti. So that's a very common one you would look for. And of course, as a young child is developing their language processes, uh, we wouldn't worry about that until later. We wouldn't try to correct it at age three, but we would watch it through age four, age five. We would just keep modeling the correct pronunciations and see, you know, see if it gets better. But those are some signs you can use together with the disability side of things. So we also want to look towards the gifts of each child. And dyslexics tend to present similar kinds of gifts. So we want to look for if your child is really good at solving puzzles or if they are very creative with Legos or other building blocks and if they're compassionate with other children in their neighborhood, if they're known for being really good with the younger children, that could be one of those strengths that goes along with dyslexia. Okay, so let me make sure I understand this correctly. What you're saying is if they're just better at those things than the average kid, that that can actually be a sign of dyslexia combined with having difficulty with some of the other things you just spoke about. Does, do I understand that correctly? Jackie, you've got it. It's, it's this paradox between being clearly intelligent in many, many ways and so, so um, kind and loving. You really get people. You really understand the world. And then being totally unable to read or spell or rhyme or, okay. or maybe not totally unable, but severely challenged in that region, that area. So your gifts are just in another area. They're very strong over here, but you struggle here. That's right. I understand that. So I asked Allison to speak to this fact that dyslexia is hereditary. And here's what she had to say. Um, that's one thing you can look for when you're watching your children learn and grow. Um, you could say, you know what? My father-in-law has really bad experiences with um, when he was in elementary school. Or, or my, my uncle Joe never graduated high school. Hmm. The parents will start to put these pieces together and, and recall these family stories that they've heard and say, yeah. you know, Uncle Joe probably can't read. Yeah, and, and Uncle Joe's not going to want to tell you this because it's embarrassing. And Uncle Joe is probably already a millionaire working his farm and um, or leading his business or being an amazing scientist. And he's an amazing <laughs> delegator. <laughs> he can delegate the things that he struggles with, which great. <laughs> That's where the executive summary comes from, Jackie. Yeah. Uh, executives with dyslexia are not going to read long reports. They request the summary and they request the uh, oral report from their secretary. So Allison, can you share with us a little about how a child might be impacted if dyslexia is not diagnosed and we don't we don't help a child appropriately. Absolutely. Um, and this is where the story becomes a little bit sadder. Um, without help, dyslexic students want to find the, the good feelings that other students want to find and, 
and other students typically find in school. So non-readers tend to find a path where they can feel brave, where they can have fun, where they can feel intelligent and not be called lazy or dumb. So these paths that dyslexics find to, to feel good and to have fun and, and so forth can be paths that lead to um, very poor choices with consequences like legal consequences. So basically running from feeling, from feeling ashamed in school could look like dropping out of school. It could look like becoming a juvenile delinquent in the uh, prison system. And, and it could look like other harmful behaviors to one's own body or one's own family community. So parents clearly will want to help their children succeed, but part of, part of it is recognizing the symptoms and knowing to act and help your child. Because if you don't recognize it, you can't help what you don't see. That's, That's right. my takeaway. That's and, right. Okay, so how can parents help their children? And I, I understand clearly in the school system there are resources. Now, I also understand some homeschooling parents might not want to reach out to the school system. And I have two thoughts on this. One is they might not want to reach out to the school system because for whatever reason they just don't like the school system or don't want to be involved. That's not always the case. The other reason I can think of is shame. I could see, I could totally see where a parent might feel shame, might feel like people will judge them, like they haven't been doing their job trying to teach their child, even though probably if your child has dyslexia, you have probably gone above and beyond what almost any parent would do to teach their child, but the results aren't there. So I could actually imagine a parent being maybe a little fearful of even having social services involved because it looks like you're not teaching your child. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I can see where a homeschooling parent might not want to reach out to the public school system, but they might be more comfortable reaching out to something in the private world. <laughs> so can you help us there a little bit? I certainly can, yes. Um, the key here, Jackie, for a parent that suspects their child may have dyslexia is to intervene with research-based strategies right away. And okay. I'll include some of those resources in our episode download for all of your viewers and listeners. Um, now, if you want to understand your full child's learning profile, or excuse me, your child's full learning profile, uh, and receive a diagnosis for dyslexia or maybe something else like dysgraphia, um, then I recommend receiving an evaluation from a psychologist. Okay. With a diagnosis, there comes power. And not only power for the parents to advocate for their child from age, you know, whatever, five through age 22 when they may get out of trade school or college, um, but there's also power in a diagnosis for the learner. When the learner receives information that says, hey, this is what your brain does, and this is what it's called, and this is how we work on this um, concern with the brain, then the child can feel empowered to learn differently or to let their strengths lead them in their careers. 
And um, there's a lot of power in those in the diagnosis. Yeah, I can see that. So I have two questions here. I can only think of one of them, though. Okay, the first question is the psychologist. Is there somebody specific you should seek out to help you with that diagnosis, a specific type of psychologist? Excellent question. What we're looking for here is a psychologist who can offer an educational psychology report for the child. This psychologist would do all of the um, intelligence tests. This psychologist would review the background information of the child's learning profile and be able to advise parents through a written report, often 15 to 25 pages long, stating any diagnoses that are present along with other important measures of learning for the child that are very helpful for parents and for future understanding you know, of the learner, him or herself. She can look back and say, oh, here's my learning profile and this is maybe going to steer me in career fields that use my strengths. Yes, when you are um, maybe interviewing your psychologist, you want to ensure they can do an educational psychology report for you. An educational psychology report. And then the other thing wasn't a question. I, I remembered it. If you want the resource that Allison has prepared for you, you can check the link in the show notes below. You can also go to homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews and find our interview with Allison there. Allison, can you share a little with us about how... You help students with dyslexia. Absolutely. So I provide online tutoring services for students who are struggling to learn to read and spell. And other tutors do this also. There are tutor lists online, and I'll include tutor lists in the worksheet that we're um, making for your listeners. Some parents would prefer to do the tutoring and the remediation themselves. So I'll include some information on that too. Can you share, I want to go back a little bit. You talked a little bit about how maybe you were embarrassed as a kid or there was shame around dyslexia and how that impacted you. And can you share with us how that can impact both the children and the families? So when there is a disability in a family, a family tends to become embarrassed about that. We see this in all different kinds of disabilities And we've seen this throughout history. Some cultures celebrate disabilities. Many cultures do not. So when there is a disability in the family or even when a student is not performing um, to the level of expectation of the family, the family can become very embarrassed in their social networks. So they may not want to go to the playground. They may not want to talk about their children's learning at at church or synagogue. They may not want to enroll their child in certain camps or activities um, in the community because they're feeling shame and embarrassment. And most importantly, they may not seek help or support or resources because they're feeling these feelings of shame. And we know with dyslexia and other disabilities, early intervention and support accommodations are all very helpful in leveling the playing field between a learner with a disability and a learner without a disability. 
the earlier a parent can ask for help, the better. And if a parent is clouded with feelings of shame and embarrassment, a parent might not ask for help for years. I've learned so much from you over this process that dyslexia is a difference in the way your brain works. Literally, you can see it in images when I look online. It looks like you learn to read with three regions of our brain. Is that correct? But when you have dyslexia, you use one region. Is that, do I understand that correctly? I like to explain it as um, when you are a non-dyslexic reader, you have this superhighway connecting the letters and their sounds, building words, and that leads to building sentences and paragraphs in the brain pretty streamlessly on this superhighway. Dyslexics read on the bumpy back roads. So their learning regions of the brain are not very well connected. They are different learning regions on the brain, and they, their process of learning, I mean reading, is very slow and very laborious. So with remediation, learners, dyslexic learners, can move their brain, actually rewire their brain to read on the superhighway. But without remediation, their brain is still reading very labored on this bumpy back road. Okay, that is phenomenal to me that we can rewire our brains to learn differently. And, you know, I know this, but then you hear it again. Like, that's amazing. It's amazing to me. Let's remember that dyslexia is um, often spotted because of high intelligence and a struggle to read. The children, the, the adults with dyslexia do have this high intelligence. They are smart. They've got it. They've got the, the capacity. And so what we're doing is just rewiring the brain to read a little bit differently. I hope that you found this episode useful and interesting and helpful. So I want to remind you to check the link in the show notes below and you can get all the information that Allison talks about in this podcast episode. There are videos and just excellent information. So definitely check that out. Live and learn your way. My name is Jackie, and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to follow this podcast and share it with a friend. Remember to check the show notes for a link to the article that corresponds with this podcast episode. In this article, we'll include any links that we mentioned in this episode. And remember that you can search all of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast episodes at homeschoolthinktank.com. 